can I can I just add one thing about that Huntington trip? I forgot yeah, about this. Yeah, it's ahead. actually sort of cool. I, I was so beat. I went through a car wash in Woodstock, and I forgot that my, my pack was in the back of my truck. Right, so I, I washed my pack. It's probably probably a good thing. And now it smells beautiful and it's nice and shiny. You got you got to try it out. <laughs> That's a good idea. Yeah, do that or either like. It's not a bad call, so you just put it. Was is there anything in there that got wet that shouldn't have gotten wet? Oh, hell yeah. But next time, I'll take the important stuff out and then do it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, anyway, back, back to you. <laughs> Broadcasting from the Woodpecker Studio in the great state of New Hampshire, welcome to the Sounds Like a Search and Rescue podcast where we discuss all things related to hiking and search and rescue in the White Mountains of New Hampshire. Here are your hosts, Mike and Stump. All right, Stump, we're on episode 25, so we're getting to, be, we're getting to that age where we have to stop being responsible. Oh, screw that, man. Uh, it's never going to happen. Although, yeah. yeah, although I am being responsible at the moment, I'm not drinking. Not tonight. Yeah, no. you can't drink anything. So you're doing a, um, you got a procedure going on? Is that what I'm hearing? <laughs> yes, it's the old fart uh, procedure. Colonoscopy. I guess they happen after you're 50. So this will be actually my second. So I, I know what to expect. But uh, so I've been doing the prep all day. And it's a nightmare. Oh my God, it's a nightmare. Like literally started at noon. And it's what 7:30 now, and it's still at it. It's like just disgusting. So fun stuff, what man. Is, so, so I'm almost at that age where I'm, I'm, you know, I'm getting close to 50. But I honestly like everybody I know has had colonoscopies, like. But it's one of those things where you know how sometimes you talk about things for so long, and you're at the point where you're like, oh well, it's just too embarrassing to like admit that you don't know what it. Like I don't even know what a colonoscopy is. I'll, mm. I'll tell you what I think it is, and then you can tell me if I'm right. I th- if it's what I think it is, I feel like they stick like a hose up your butt and blast you with water and then clean you all out. But I don't know if that's true or not. I'm not sure about the water part. I thought it was air. I think they they put a, a beautiful looking hose up your bottom and uh, apparently E. coli free. Knock on wood. Hope let's hope that's oh, yeah. true. And uh, right. so there is a hose. There's a hose involved though. I knew that. Oh yeah, there sure is. Yeah, it's like. Uh, an amazing multi-purpose hose. It can it fills your intestines up with air, so that the doctor can get a better look at the walls of your intestines to see if there's any you know polyps going on or any inflammation and all that fun stuff. So, yeah, I, I guess after after the first, you don't have to do this for like another ten years unless, of course, you have you know start having some symptoms of whatever gastric pain or any unusual symptoms. So can't wait to get this well, over with thoughts and prayers so you're gonna be a little hangry tonight so oh dude we're gonna talk about f- it, it, and that's exactly why too. yeah well that's why i i'm c- claiming that you are the meanest co-host in the universe because you want to talk about food and i can't have any food i i had i had a yogurt this morning at about six o'clock and then i went hiking with a, a friend and um I have I can't have any food until after the procedure, so this is going to be a rough one for the old stomp. Oh shit! <laughs> All right, well we'll get this done quick. So we were supposed to have a guest tonight, but like uh, we're just like legit, we're just not, it's just not happening logistically. So it's just me and Stomp tonight, and 
you know, we'll cover the show summary in a minute, but um, we'll have some guests back. Uh, we got to figure it out. But um, anyway, it's just scheduling issues. We're, we're all super busy. Yeah. Um, but before we get into um, that, a couple of things to just kind of riff on here. But one thing I want to ask you a question. Are you flags on the 48 is coming up this weekend? Right. Are you are you hiking that? And if so, like, is there do you do you want to disclose where you're going to be so people might be able to meet you? Or do you want to keep that quiet? I'm not actually. I'm, I'm tied up with um, a statewide uh, search and rescue training. Oh, that's um, right. That's right. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, from from eight, eight until like four or so, I'm going to be missing in action. But, you know, you know, in a way, I'm, I'm actually sort of glad because part of the training in, incorporates the uh, the Black Hawk and uh, this and that. It's going to be I think it's going to be a really patriotic time and just a, a somber time. Uh, but yeah, I wish I was joining everybody. I love that event. Um, how about you? Are you joining? Are you going out? No, no. I burned all my matches with hiking this weekend, so I have a, I have like uh, some family stuff. So I gotta, I gotta stay in the land of mass holes for the weekend. So, ah. um, but anyway, but people will be listening to this, and if you are doing flags on the forty-eight, um, best of luck. If you're posting pictures or whatever, give us a shout out on uh, whatever social media you're on. I don't really know how Instagram works. They can tag us or something, but mm. um, have a good time. And I, I did hike it last year and I went to Jefferson and it was it was a crowded area, but it was cool. Very, very inspiring. So hopefully the flags on the 48 people will have a good time. Yeah. Yeah, so. absolutely. Yeah, I'll miss it for sure. But hey, we have other stuff going on, especially with uh, our busy season coming up we have to get training so um it's gonna be good yeah yeah exactly yeah um so we got a we got i got i got reprimanded for a pronunciation issue that again remember i was just talking about how like is this some things that like you're just you do it so much or you just talk about it so much that you can't bring it up that you don't you don't realize you're wrong and apparently i i pronounce the bell naps incorrectly mm. Yeah, I had yeah, no idea yeah. that there was a K that that was silent. <laughs> I always called it the be- the belt naps. Yeah, did but, you know that? I, no, I had no idea. But that that was brought up by a, a donation actually, and it was by Jen Davis, um, who brought that to our attention. And apparently, she's a native, and she grew up working at the malls and this and that up here in New Hampshire and in in that region. So she knew, and it's been driving her nuts apparently. So. Yeah, and that, yeah, that sorry, Jen. That spurred on the uh, the idea that we can use a, a translate, like Google Translate or whatever, to to confirm these things. And uh, I posted it on the story, and uh, it's actually a good idea. But she's right; it's like Belknap. And I've since tried a couple other things, like I, you know, I hate to say it, I'm in the confessional, but Jewel was Jewel according to Google. But hey, it's Google; you can't trust them for anything, right? Ajakachuk. Ajakachuk is the craziest thing I've ever heard. You'll have to try it yourself. But yeah, so if there's any disputes moving forward, let's use uh, Translate and we'll figure it out. Yeah, so I apologize to all my Lakes region friends, but I've, I've been saying belt naps for like t- 10 years now and no one has ever once corrected me. So I bell feel nap. like there's a lot of mass holes. <laughs> yeah. What is it again, dude? Bell nap. <laughs> Ugh, Google. I hate Google. <laughs> anyway, um, but Bell none of my, nap. nobody has ever corrected me, so I, I apologize. But, like, I've never pretended to be a local. Like, I'm a, I am a mass hole. I spend a lot of time in New Hampshire and Maine, but 
I just can't pick up all the lingo. So you should know better. You're, you're local. Yeah. Well, I'm a new local. I'm not claiming to have lived here all my life, though. Like Coas. I thought it was Coas. It's Coos. It is Coos County. <laughs> so we're definitely... I'll give you all the, the bushwhacking hints you want, but don't come to looking for advice on words for me. That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so the the Wood Devils live in Coos County. I I thought I heard it said that way before, but all right. Um, sponsors, coffee, all that stuff. You want to get that out of the way? We have five from Jen, and um, again, she brought up the whole pronunciation thing. Um, quote: Someone got us three coffees, which is very cool. Sharpen the sword. That's a nice moniker. Bought us a coffee. And uh, often, cool. oftentimes, these folks will give us comments and criticisms and stuff like that, so it's pretty cool. And um, a big shout-out to our sponsor at Reckless Brewing, where you'll enjoy the best food, craft beer, and fun. Located near the Five Corners and just minutes from Franconia Notch, home to many of the best hiking summits in the White Mountains. How'd, how'd you like that? That was pretty professional. That was way better than I could ever do. Yeah, we're working on that stuff because, honestly, Reckless is legit in the heart of franconia it's minutes from a lot of these hiking trails that everybody's going to so give them a visit they're really close and it's probably the closest spot you can go to after a hike very cool and also um one other thing just as a reminder we do on the on the slasherpodcast.com website we have a section for sponsorships and donations um, if you're interested in uh, sponsorship or us advertising for you or giving, you know, putting in a good word, you, you, there's a if you are donating directly to the New Hampshire Outdoor Council, um, which supports search and rescue efforts in New Hampshire, all you have to do is just send us a receipt showing uh, your proof of donation, and we'll give you a plug, a shout out. You know, we'll work out the details once you've uh, you've sent over that info. But definitely uh, take a look at that if you're an organization. You know, we're happy to. to happy to give you a shout out here and we don't have a huge audience but i feel like we've got enough people now listening that it might be worth spending a couple of bucks and donating to the new hampshire outdoor council to get get your name on here and they support um all the volunteer teams in new hampshire so when teams need gear um they they can provide the money the grant monies to to support the teams in those uh, ventures Ooh, i may have to take occasional breaks here and there and what i'll do is i'll edit the dead space out so that we'll we'll keep this real honest and transparent but i'll get rid of the dead space okay because i'm I'm still chugging down this wonderful marillac 64 ounces of water concoction Yeah, you should just cut this part out. No one wants to hear your your old man issues. Um, but let's transition to the show summary. So um, tonight we are going to focus on some recent hikes that we've done in the White Mountains and beyond. Looking to get out into areas where you can avoid the crowds. We've got you covered with some summaries of recent hikes. And uh, we are also going to review a number of search and rescue calls that have occurred over the last week. Uh, one of those includes a car break-in on the summit of Mount Washington. So no matter how obscure the parking lot seems, uh, no vehicle is safe while parked in the White Mountains. Later in the show, we will wrap up by talking about nutrition on the trail. So trying to figure out the best food to eat while hiking, we will give you our opinions on what works. I'm Mike. And I'm Stomp. Let's get started. All right, 
right, so you already said that you have no beer, so I am down to my last. I'm drinking a smutty nose, so I'm down to my last beer in that smutty nose variety pack that I've been sitting on for the last like three weeks. So I'm, I've got the old brown dog, which is the same beer that I had last week. So it's good. Mm, yummy. It's good. I, I haven't drank these kind of beers in a long time. I used to, you know, where I used to drink these beers was um, Medieval Manor in Boston would have <laughs> like that, like brown, dark ale that they would they would pour. The know, only thing I know like about that two place. Two dollars a pitcher. Yeah. The only thing I know about that place is that they would like give people a hassle about having to go to the bathroom. Is that true? Yeah. Yeah. It was like part of the show. <laughs> like they would give you a hard time or whatever. So yeah, you kind of knew like not to get, if if you did get up, you had to wait until like a bunch of people got up so that you were kind of, you know, it's one of those places <laughs> where you want to hide. <clears throat> That's really funny. Good times. Uh, yeah, but is that still yeah, there? I, know that, I have no idea. Huh. I have no idea. I remember it used to be by that, um, it was by that like homeless shelter place um, mm-hmm. right off of 93, I forget. But yeah. I, I, my guess is probably not to Google that. But Medieval Manor, that was a good place to go in the 90s if you were a college student. <laughs> so, um, But that's all we got for beer talk at this point. So I got to pick up some more Reckless. But other than that, um, I think we can move on to segment one, which is a deep dive on recent hikes. So I was talking with Stomp earlier and we both were kind of comparing notes and we've done enough hikes over the last like week or so since the last show that we were like, let's just do a whole segment breaking down some of these, these hikes that we've been on. And we, we, you know, there's a fair amount of content here. So Stomp's been off bushwhacking and I've been off doing a, a couple of cool hikes. And I also had a big epiphany that I wanted to run by Stomp as well, which I think might be interesting to the folks that are looking to get out there. So mm. anyway, Stomp, do you want to, you want to kick this off with, with the summary of some of the stuff that you've done recently? Yeah. Let's, let's uh, start with the Huntington's. Uh, some time ago, Steve Smith had told me about, um, his white whale, his elusive mountain that he's tried to get but just never attained, and that was Huntington West. The Huntingtons are proximate to the Kangamangas Highway, and essentially from the hairpin, the famous hairpin, which you know juts into the Hancock Trail, I believe, um, at the closest peak is about 0.8 from the hairpin itself, and that is Huntington West. Just east of that, you have Mount Huntington itself, and then south you have Huntington South, and then a little off to the um, the east is, um, yeah, I think that's how it works. So it's Huntington, Huntington South, and then Huntington East. So Saturday's adventure, it was, it was pretty crazy. I drove by, this is real early. I drove by, it had to be like 6, 6.30 or so. Lincoln Woods was absolutely bombed. I, I posted a picture on the story later after this bushwhack about it being you know, a couple miles long. I, I just could not believe the volume of cars. Uh, made a quick quick pit stop there at Lincoln Woods and then made my way over to the hairpin. Thankfully, there were about two or three spots open. And when you're in the hairpin, if you're looking towards, uh, let's say, where the start of the Hancock Trail is, 90 degrees to the right, you'll see maybe 50 yards of you know steep, wet ledges, maybe 15 feet high or so. My plan was to um, approach it straight up past those ledges. So basically, I skirted around the ledges, found a way past them. The, the secondary approach would be actually from the 
Hancock Trail, maybe about a mile in, and then bushwhacked straight up to the right towards the uh, the ridge line. When when you come back from say Conway on the Kangamangus, before you really dip into Lincoln, you see that really huge series of cliffs. Um, that is yeah, yeah. Huntington West. That's the summit that I did this weekend. So got it, got just it. to give you some perspective, and it, and when you're coming down that that long hill and you see the cliff to the right, th- that's where these other summits are approximately located. Um, great time, really, really. You know, I got up to the top of the first one, and I, my my intention was to do all four and just get them over with, but my my head wasn't in the game for whatever reason. So I, you ever have one of those moments at a summit, like a summit? and you just can't decide what to do, and you spend five or ten minutes deciding, should I go to the next section or not? I've come to the point in my life where when I'm in that mode, I just bail. Like, I'm not going to fight with myself. I'm out. Obviously, my mind's telling me something here. So, yeah. So, I'll I'll be back for another round on those. Yeah. I I mean, I never really... I I mean, I don't do the bushwhacks that much, so I don't really like... Go back and forth, go, no, go. I mean, I've dealt with that with some weather situations before. Like, matter of fact, I had that where I turned around on Osseo Trail mm-hmm. um, over the winter. I just wasn't feeling it, and, like, I just wanted to I just wanted to be able. So I've had a few moments like that. But yeah. I think for this one here, so I'm looking at uh, the map here, and that's one of the things. It's a good point. Like, when you go over the Kangamangas Pass, mm-hmm. you can, like, almost reach out and touch those peaks that are sort of surrounding that pass, and then, like you said, that cliff right there. It looks that way. That you drive to. It's like you can reach out and touch them, but like yeah. when you really look at the trail system, mm-hmm. there was never trails built out to. Like it would seem to me like it would make a whole lot of sense for, you know, there's a little like 180 turn below Kangamangas Pass mm-hmm. that points right to hu- Mount Huntington. Like it seems to me like a pull off with a short little trail to Mount Huntington would make a whole lot of sense being right there. And then also like, Right at the pass, there's a couple of open peaks mm. that you could just basically hike over to that are like a hundred feet above the the pass. Right, but no, it doesn't seem like there's a that whole road area there where the Kangamangas um, peaks out just doesn't get a lot of like hiking traffic. Other than the only options you have are bushwhacking. Yeah, yeah, and that's how I mean Steve has done those other ones. He's he's gone to the, the Pemi Overlook cutoff mm-hmm. and. Um, cut over towards the southern and the eastern peaks um but yeah you're right there's no i mean those are easy those are those are reachable uh but there's just no trail system at all and i can tell you it's pretty pretty steep going up to west was steep as hell and it was fairly wet still from the recent rains um it was it was complicated it was not as thick as say liberty so in that sense it was just sort of a grind but it wasn't just you know bushes in your face the whole time um so that was a really nice time i'll be back i I really enjoyed it nice i thought it was going to be harder than it was let's let's say that um the last person in the register who signed in at the top was amy patenaud i believe that's her last name but amy is is a prolific bushwhacker she's done the 500 highest I believe in the, the warmer months, but she's working on her winter now. I could be I could be wrong about that, um, but she was there in March last year, uh, so that's pretty that intense. Was the last that's pretty gnarly. Yeah, yeah. Well, and for the audience, so so that you understand what Stomp was talking about is these these peaks that don't have trails to them that they bushwhack. Typically, what you'll see is a like a PVC canister. 
that is um, basically strapped to a tree to mark the summit. And inside these canisters, you can like unscrew them. I haven't done, as a matter of fact, I think the few times I've done these is with you. You basically unscrew the canister, and then there'll be a little logbook in there where you can sort of mark down and put your name and the date that you've been been on the peak. Yeah, it's very cool. Yeah, yeah for some of these 500 yeah. peaks there, it's a fairly exclusive niche of people doing this stuff, you know. I think that, I think the hunting, I, some of these peaks may be on the highest 100 or 200 or whatever. Um, I don't have that in front of me, but um, some of these are, I believe. Uh, okay. So you may yeah. have a larger crowd going to some of these peaks, but for the 500. So again, Mount, yeah. Yeah, Mount Huntington is right in the, the hip and turn trailhead. So if you go into the Hancocks, it's just up to the right and, mm. in case you're interested. Yeah. And then today, uh, I'll just zip through these quickly. I, I reunited with one of my favorite uh, bushwhacking uh, buddies. And she's she's a really good good friend and just a blast to be on trail with. It's Danielle Normand. Uh, Normand. Sorry, I should put that in Google Translate, I guess. <laughs> uh, Danielle's awesome. She's prolific, and she's um, – this is a huge plug for her because I just think she's great. Um, great instinct, um, great um, – she's fearless, and she just she's competent when you're bushwhacking. That's what you want when you're out there in these random remote places. So today we went into a region which is uh, off of Exit 23 – past New Hampton, into Alexandria, down this road called Orange Road, which is interesting because it's south of Mount Cardigan and Mount Orange. And there's a a little family of 500 highest peaks. Um, And today we did, first, we did Mount Mel, or Melvin Mountain, which is 2,177. And then we went over the call to Barber Mountain, uh, B-A-R-B-E-R, and that, I posted a picture of that. There's a picture, uh, there's a, I'm sorry, there's a view of Cardigan from this summit, which is just stunning. And you can see orange, and you can see Cardigan. Uh, it's probably five miles away to the south, I'm guessing. All right. So you guys were kind of messing around in that area where Mount Plymouth is and Mowgli that we've been talking about a little bit near Cardigan. Ooh, much further south. Yeah, much, much further, further Yeah, that okay. stuff is north of Cardigan. Okay, Yeah. Um and then finally, we finished up on Hutchins Hill. We still had time. I had to get back here to start this prep for this damn thing uh, tomorrow. But we did Hutchins Hill, which w- was another bushwhack, but we did a little research and found this, uh, what I would say is probably a ski, uh, Nordic track, Nordic track, duh, Nordic ski uh, circuit. So we just took some of these trails up to the summit, and that was really cool. Um, yeah, so it was a really good day. Currently, I I stand at 129, 129 out of, out of 500. Yeah, getting this there. This is the, the Hampshire 500. Do you you think you've missed some peaks, or do you think your number's pretty good? No, it's solid. I have a list at home. Yeah. Okay. Um, Danielle's at like 237. She's actually using CalTopo, and she made her own. Uh, she's crazy. She's doing like a, a million lists. Can't, can't even tell you. It's crazy. Uh, but she made her own list for the 500, and she's picking them off. So uh, the information's out there. Just look up uh, New Hampshire Highest 500. Yeah, and I, I don't know much about this list, but I do know, like, I'll, I'll, I'm on the, I think I'm in the Facebook group, and I do know, like, every once in a while, somebody will say, like, oh, you can't go to this one anymore because it got bought by, like, 
a private owner. We ran and into it, that it, today. It gets a little weird and tricky, right? Yeah. It, well, you know, honestly, somebody had done this first set, um, what is it, Melvin and Barber, a couple months back, and it wasn't a problem. We went today. There were some areas that were posted now. So, you know, property rights change. Um, and the people on the five, there is there is a 500 highest Facebook page, um, and there's a lot of, you know, information that circulates in there and questions like, hey, what about property rights here? Hey, how do I get past this, this and that? Um, oftentimes, if there is a property issue, the the, um, the owners are generally fine about it, and you just knock on the door and say, hey, we're just doing this. Mind if we just sneak through here or whatever? Um, not, not too many issues, but uh, you do have to be aware of that because some of these are more off the beaten path and harder to get to. Now, is hunting a factor now, or is that not, not happening yet? I feel like it is. Beer, beer season started. Yes, it, yes, I believe it has. Yeah, so that is a good point. So, you know, doing these, you're generally wearing bright, high visibility, visibility colors. Um, that helps. Yeah, we didn't see any activity, though, in terms of other people. But that's a great point. All right. Well, I'll put some links to that area on the show notes, and yeah, I've never heard any of these because they're. I think when you're talking about the New England hundred or the New Hampshire hundred or five hundred highest, it's uh, you're going to get some obscure peaks here, but it's mm. it's worth exploring around. Yeah. Now, um, how about you? What you been up to? Um, so, I got I got two hikes in this this weekend. I had a, I had like a family day planned. I think on. Saturday, um, we were just going to hang out by the the pond and, and chill out, which we did do. But like, I wanted to get some hiking in, so I just went to Burnt Meadow Mountain and Stone Mountain, which are like the local um, hikes, right? Probably about five ten minutes away from where my father in law lives. And I typically will go there and do like a four and a half mile loop, but this time I I wanted to go a little longer, so I I put together a route where I went directly up to Burnt Meadow. And the views out in the western Maine, out in the like Cornish and Hiram and uh, Ossipee and all that area are really uh, very impressive as you get up to the, the, the peak of Burnt Meadow. Mm-hmm. And then from the peak, I went off the backside. It got some views out in the Whites and the, the Sandwich Range. And then hiked over to Stone Mountain where, again, you get another view of the west. Came back down Stone Mountain and actually bushwhacked up the backside of Burnt Meadow where there's a, uh, a, a huge rock slide off the backside. So I went off trail, went up the rock slide, reconnected through this giant blueberry field. A lot of blueberries are gone at this point. Mm, yeah. And then went back over to, to Burnt Meadow. So it's like a small hike typically, but I was able to put together a six-mile route with about 2,500 feet of elevation in the small mountain in western Maine. Hmm. So... That's awesome. Um, yeah, the pictures look beautiful. A lot of ledge and everything else. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's awesome. And matter of <clears> fact, <throat> one one cool thing, I hike there all the time, so I probably hike this mountain fifty times. And there's an old guy that that hikes there. I think at one point he was doing it every day, but uh, I see I see him when I go there. So I stopped. I talked to him because I was thinking about that episode that we did with Martin Martin Pisani. Mm-hmm about like hiking keeping you young so i asked the guy i was like he's like i'm 89 so i was asking him if he went to the peak he's like i can't get up there anymore it's too much but he's like i go up to the there's an outlook and then i turn around and i asked him i was like do you think hiking is keeping you young and he said he's like it probably is he's like it's it can't hurt but he's like it's also wearing me down 
a little bit, but he's like, it really doesn't matter at this point. He's like, I'm just getting out here. So he's a nice guy. He's like kind of bent over. He had the old like wooden stick. He looked like Gandalf walking down the trail. It was pretty cool. Huh. That's great. Yeah. I mean, yeah, any activity is going to wear you down, but uh, geez, to be expected. Yeah. Good. Hopefully that'll be me and you stomp. Oh, yeah. Someday. We'll see. Can I, in March. Can I just March. add one thing about that Huntington trip? I forgot yeah, about this. Yeah, it's ahead. actually sort of cool. I was so beat. I went through a car wash in Woodstock, and I forgot that my pack was in the back of my truck, right? So I, I washed my pack. Probably, probably a good thing. And now it smells beautiful, and it's nice and shiny. You got you to try it out. <laughs> That's a good idea. Yeah, do that or either like. It's you know, not a bad call. So you just put. Your, was is there anything in there that got wet that it shouldn't have gotten wet? Oh hell yeah! But next time I'll take the important stuff out and then do it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Exactly. So anyway, back back to you. Very good. Nice. Well, one, so one other hike I did here. So I have you done the Red Red Ridge trail on the moats before have you ever hiked that no i haven't i've I've read about it and i plan to get there but uh i mean the moats look awesome oh yeah yeah Yeah, they're amazing so this is a top 10 trail on the whites for me like if you're looking to do a hike i couldn't believe this because i had it in my head for some reason there's been a number of rescues on this trail Mm -hmm. with people taking wrong turns and for some reason, I had it on my head just because there'd been a few rescues that like this was like a trail that wasn't often traveled and wasn't like very well marked. But I couldn't have been more wrong. Like it's, <laughs> I did a clockwise loop. So it starts at Diana's Bath. You know, you know that like oh. touristy place where everybody yep. hangs out. Mm-hmm. So I, I got there around seven in the morning and there was like two other cars in the parking lot. And I just got out. You know, I, I have a sticker, so I just went rolling down to Diana's bath. And, like, I saw one couple coming back with a baby. So that must have been one car. And then when I got to Diana's bath, I want to take a couple of pictures. So I went out into the, the Diana's bath, and I realized I was, like, interrupting, like, a a photo shoot with these these kids were doing, like, a photo shoot. And I was <laughs> I was getting in the way of their pictures. So I had to get out of there pretty quickly. But um, when you go past Diana's bath, like, it is... That section of trails there where the moats are, it's probably the closest thing that you're going to get to feeling like you're in the Pacific Northwest in the Whites, I think. What? Like, I haven't been, I've been out west a few times, so I get a sense of what the vibe is. Yeah. And I, I, it's like the trails are a lot wider. So the whoever maintains those trails, the trails are usually like, you know, probably like three feet wide, whereas most trails are a lot smaller than that. So they're mm-hmm. wide, and the trees, the tree growth is just more spread out. And it just has that Pacific Northwest vibe to it. I yeah. think I don't know why. Towering pines. Um, yeah, exactly. Towering yeah, pines, gotcha. and it's really nice. And then once, and it's like a three mile approach to get. It's a pretty much flat, so it's a three mile approach to get to the um, ascent to up the Red Ridge and then to the moats. So once you start going, you're almost immediately above tree line and you're walking from ledge to ledge. Mm-hmm. So it feels like you're looking backwards the whole time, not even really paying attention. So my experience on Red Ridge, basically like, you know, you do a little bit of climbing, turn around. It was cloud covered as I was in the lower section. 
I got up to another ledge and all of a sudden the clouds started clearing and you just see Kearsarge North pop out. <laughs> and you'd be like, oh, wow, that's a really cool view. Like I'm almost at level eyesight of the clouds and then Kearsarge North is just popping out right in front of me. I and then you. I look over yeah. and I can see the double heads. And I, all of a sudden, like I just sat there and I could see the clouds just clearing out and I could start seeing like the green hills hmm. and all that all you can see across the valley in North Conway. Yeah. And then you keep making your way up and eventually like I got close to the, the ridge of Moat, Mount, the Moat Mountain Range Ridge. And the views are just amazing. You know, yeah. you're a little bit above the clouds, but so close to the clouds that you could almost touch them. Hmm. So it was just one of those days, um, you know, and you get up to the ridge and then North Moat is, everybody talks about Carrigan as being like the one where you're in the middle of the whites, but North Moat is the same way. You can see every peak mm. from North Moat. Hmm. Yeah, it sounds great. Now is Red Ridge, yeah. that little literal ridge that comes up from the east towards the the high point, that really open ledgy trail? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 pretty open. Um and it's like sort of like a cutoff where you can, if you're gonna, if you're coming from South Moat, if you wanted to bypass North and get to Diana's Bath, you would take Red Ridge. Mm. But I did it as a loop, clockwise, okay. going up Red Ridge, then hitting the Moat Mountain Trail, going, and it's probably another mile or so to get to actual actually get to North Moat, and then you come down the the Moat Trail from there. Mm-hmm. It turns out to be like a ten mile loop. It's about 3,000 feet of elevation gain, and uh, probably definitely top 10 hike for me, Red Ridge, top 10 trail in the whites for sure. So if you're looking for a place to go, I didn't see a single person either. Mm-hmm. I went on Labor, uh, Labor Day Monday, and not a single person on trail. I didn't see anybody until I got back to Diana's Bath. Yeah, I heard that from a, a bunch of people that it was sort of quiet for that Monday, which is strange. I think a lot of people yeah. left for, for some reason. There was heavy traffic pretty early yeah yeah i did as i was walking towards diana's bath i saw like a group of people they were walking up and they were lost they were like oh they asked me a question and i was just i kind of explained to them where they needed to go and one of the people said to me they were like uh, you look like one of those people that's like a, like actually hikes I'm like that that's really cool <laughs> <laughs> and i said well thank you what a surprise <laughs> yeah, well, thanks jeez that's too funny yeah. But I did. Um, I had an epiphany <laughs> stomp on um, on this Red Ridge hike. Okay. That um, I never really, I never, I never really thought about it that much. But I had this epiphany about hiking, and I, I probably, I want to throw this out there just for the audience to see if anybody else sort of feels this way. But I like hikes that involve a long, flat approach. Hmm. And this is one of the, I was like hiking and I was like, you know, I really like it when I'm not climbing right away. Yeah. And there's not that many trails in the whites like that. Usually it's just like get on the escalator and start walking. Mm -hmm. But Red Ridge is great because you go in about almost three miles and there's no elevation gain. Mm -hmm. And the reason why I like it is because typically I'm doing longer hikes. So, you know, nine, 10, 12 miles or whatever. I like being able to go on a flat approach and like banging out those those beginning miles like quickly okay so like i got three miles done in an hour and then i feel like all right even though i know i got another seven miles to go like it feels like you've accomplished something early and then i think it relaxes me i'm like okay i I may already done a lot of distance in a short amount of time Mm. now i can take my time and enjoy it does that extrapolate out to lincoln woods 
trail to Pond Cliff. <laughs> it, it does. It does. So I, and again, I don't know how many people feel the same way I do, but like I said, like I like the long, flat approaches, and then and then I'll hit the climb. So for me, I put together like a, a list. warm up. Exactly. Like I got the warm up, and then yeah. I also feel like all right, I banged out all these miles. Sure. So the prototypical hike that like screams this to me is the Hancocks. So. Mm-hmm. That's like that, like, you know, hike out two, three miles to get to the, the climb, and then you're straight up yeah. across the ridge, straight down, and then flat again. So that's the one that, like, stands out the most. But uh, Rattle River is another one. When you're going out to, like, Shelburne, Mariah, or you're going to Mariah, like, you've got that, like, three miles or so yeah. where you're pretty flat mm-hmm. on, coming up Rattle River. And there's a few other ones. Lincoln Woods, like he talked about, is one of them. Flume. Uh, Red Ridge, like I just talked about, and then... Great Gulf is the other one. Yeah, that I, that I think of. Mm-hmm. What, yeah, what was I the think, one you said? Oh, Flume, Flume Slide Trail. It's oh, it's very it's like that's like four miles before you get to the ascent. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I haven't done that, so I'll, I'll, I'll be oh, looking forward to doing my that. My God, that's yeah. Whew. There's a lot of controversy about that trail lately. It's just like people want to destroy it, redirect it, do something to it because it's just it's very dangerous. Uh, that, yeah. That's for another story, yeah, another tale. Yeah. Huh. Very good. Well, speak, speaking of tales, um, do you want to move on to section? So anyway, the, the, hopefully that was some good good hikes for people, get you, you know, get some ideas going for um, doing some bushwhacks, doing some regular hikes. and Anything else you want to add before we go to the next segment? No, I think we're good to go. Moving on. All right, uh, search and rescue. Do you you want me to read this one, or you want to read this one about the Pennsylvania father and daughter? Why don't you take it? I'm going to take a little nature break for a moment. How's that sound? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't want to think about your nature break, but yeah, that's fine. I can take this one. Hey, you back? Yeah, I'm back. Very good. You took a break, so. I took a break. I just like, felt weird, like going uh, going without you. But anyway, um, so stomp father and daughter got in trouble on Mount Washington. So um, Tuesday, August thirty first, three twenty p.m. The fishing game got a nine one one call for a lost hiker and her father near the Chandler Brook Trail on Mount Washington. So this was a um, 43-year-old female from Cambridge, Maryland. Hmm. Cambridge, Maryland, not Massachusetts. Hmm. Uh, she had Just stated the- that she, she said that her and her father had gotten lost off trail while hiking when her GPS died. And that left her father and her, I guess, stuck. So she left. Probably sounds like she left to go find a cell connection and um, the father was not doing well, and she didn't have any service. So, yeah, so she she took off to go find a cell connection and finally got in touch with conservation officer from New Hampshire Fish and Game, and they were able to guide her back to the trail to get to the auto road. So apparently what they were doing was the original plan was to hike the auto road, but for whatever reason, they somebody told them that the auto road is not open to foot traffic. So they decided to redirect to the Great Gulf Trailhead and started up 
looks like the Great Gulf Trail. And then eventually, like, that gets, hmm. that Great Gulf Trail gets a little wonky, like you, you, the Madison Gulf. Oh, sure. Connects there. And then eventually you do, if you stay on the Great Gulf, you'll get to uh, that Chandler Brook Trail, which connects basically, it's like a shortcut over to the auto road. Um, you know where that spills out, Stomp, is where you you had done that, like, recon mission to find the old trail uh, exactly. off the auto road. It's at that, the top um, of that. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's like a bypass there. So it's pretty steep. Sounds like. Oh yeah, sure. yeah. That's a that's a tough area. Absolutely. So somehow the daughter made it out there. The father's not doing well. Um, so they, for whatever reason, decided not to do the auto road. Went down to the Great Gulf and uh, didn't make it super far. Honestly, um, so apparently, you know the. They, you know, they, they redirected after they got, so somehow they got her to the auto road, got her down. The father's still out there. So after they got her off of the, uh, the mountain, they started hiking up the Great Gulf Trail one direction. And then there was another Mount Washington State Park staff member that um, left to go down Chandler Brook, mm-hmm. and they were basically just kind of sweeping. Eventually, they, you know, and they were worried about this guy because his his situation was deteriorating and uh, the weather wasn't great. So I guess they were able to hike down to him and then hike up the Great Gulf. And around one in the morning, two in the morning, one fifteen in the morning, they located him. He had um, responded to whistle blasts, and it doesn't look like he had any, um, you know, any of the uh, the essentials here. I can't read this to see if he had. Oh yeah, here we go. So he had lack of additional clothing, no headlamp or supplies necessary for an overnight stay. So they were like, "We got to go find this guy." Right. Um, they found him very close to the Chandler Brook Great Gulf Trail system and then eventually they got an atv up to the osgood osgood trail junction to meet him so this is not you're talking like i think about three or four miles up the great gulf trail from the trailhead to get to chandler brook and then from chandler brook where they found him back to osgood is maybe about a mile and a half two miles i mean granted like you can't get an atv out that far because there's that there's one of those bridges that goes over the peabody river i think Mm -hmm. but I mean, we're not talking that far. And this this guy is in one fifteen in the morning. They found him. They didn't get to Osgood Trail until five fifteen. So it took four hours for them to go like a mile and a half with this guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. The the time frame on this one is amazing. So nine thirty a.m. and then apparently they get out around six a.m. <laughs> That's a yeah. long yeah. mission. But back to his gear. There's a comment here. It says that they found him. He was very cold, tired, and wet, and the soles of his boots had fallen off. That's a question mark in my head. Well, I can. I have the answer for you there, and this actually came up on um, one of the social media posts on the Facebook page. Okay. I actually know exactly. I, I can speculate exactly what happened here because. Um, I had an incident with my friend Tom, who I've talked about a few times. We we hike a lot together. Um, my theory on this is that it's it's reasonably common for people to have hiking boots 
that they'll use, you know, hiking boots are not inexpensive. And I think my guess when I hear that, like, there's a gear failure like this is I think a dry rot every time because my guess is that this guy probably has a nice pair of hiking boots. He bought them years ago, oh. probably is not a very frequent hiker, gotcha. let them sit in his closet for X amount of years. Eventually, they just dry rot. Mm-hmm. You get them on on a hike, and uh, what ends up happening is the glue. The and leather's the, toast and um, everything else. The leather's toast, and then everything just disintegrates. As a matter of fact, the reason I know this is because me and my friend Tom, hiking down Huntington Ravine one time, and we ran into a lady who the exact same thing she explained to us. Basically, she was going on the hike with a friend. She never goes hiking. She had her parents FedEx her her old hiking boots, and she got up into Hermit Lake. And on the way there, like they just her her, her hiking boots just fell apart. Hmm. So luckily, we had duct tape, and we were able to help her out. We hiked her down stuck with her she was like oh well i'm fine i'm fine we were like no we'll stay with you just in case eventually like the duct tape broke and i think tom had to actually give her his shoes and he barefooted it out for the last half mile or so but that's Mm. my guess is what happened with this guy is he just got dry rot in the boots yeah so there you go there's another uh great tip duct tape uh tie wraps these things can come in really handy in a pinch yeah okay yeah that makes sense though yeah. Yeah. The other thing about this that I will call out is this this idea of like not being able to go on the auto road. So mm-hmm. maybe somebody from the auto road's listening and they can tell me otherwise. I don't know what the rule is if you're going to go right from the bottom and hike up. I still think you can do it. I, I don't thought think so there's too. Any, I, I mean, I've done I it. I can tell you. I've done it a number of times. It. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've done it plenty of times training for the Mount Washington Auto Road race. But my advice, if anybody ever does want to hike the auto road and they are nervous about dealing with like that bottom gate section there, what you can do is park at Pinkham Notch and take Old Jackson Road. That's another trail that's like a flat approach. That'll get you, that'll get you out to the two-mile mark of the auto road. Mm-hmm. And then you can just go up from there. And it's easier to deal with parking and Pinkham anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So to wrap this one up, um, it, it really goes into the 10 essentials and just gives a plug for that. You really got to be ready for, for this type of terrain, this type of weather. Um, the 10 essentials should be in your pack. Go to hikesafe.com and you can review that. And uh, we talk about these things fairly frequently, but uh, make sure you have that stuff. Definitely. And speaking of hike safe. Remember, remember I was telling you how I'm trying to get that guy that's like crusade, crusading <laughs> yes. um, to, to make sure that everybody has to buy a hiking license, just like the hunters and the fishermen. This story is dedicated to him. So <laughs> I'm trying to get him on. I, I haven't, like, he said he was going to be at the Northwoods Law softball game. Okay. Are, you, are you going to that? No, I don't know if Northwoods is part of that. I think it's just Maine versus New Hampshire. If I remember correctly, oh, was that it? Okay. Yeah. What? Yeah. Well, Northwoods filmed it a couple of years back, but I, I don't think they're associated with, with this one this time around. But that's always a blast, from what I hear. Yeah, I, I don't know if I'm going to be able to make it, but he was like, basically, I'm going to be there. We can have a sit down, and I'm like, I, I, if I can, if I can go, I'll definitely meet with him. But I don't know if I will. But anyway, this story is for him because we finally have a hiker that got injured, had to call for a rescue, and had a hike safe card. Mm. So that's good, right? <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> yeah. That's so, great. <laughs> um, it's a pretty like straightforward issue. It's just like 
Um, New Hampshire woman suffered a leg injury after slipping and falling while descending Mount Madison. She's on Valley Way. 41-year-old female hiker from Bennington, New Hampshire. Um, coming down Valley Way, she had done Adams and Madison, pretty standard hike, and she slipped on a wet log. And, it happens. Um, I guess she's a pretty experienced hiker. I've seen the name around. Um, and she, you know, she basically said to the rescuers she was sorry, but like it was, she heard a snap and she couldn't put any weight on her leg after the incident. So she was an experienced hiker yeah. and she couldn't move and she knew enough. Like she made the right calls. You know, you can't, you can't drag your ass off the mountain if, if you're, um, you got something broken. So yeah. she had a hike safe card. Um, and she ended up, I guess this thing happened around three thirty. She made it to the staging area at, um, I'm assuming Appalachia at 11 p.m. So again, like these things just don't, they don't, they don't happen quickly. Mm. And simultaneously, another one? Yeah, yeah. So this was the press release for, for this one here. And then at the bottom of it, I've never seen them do this before, but um, they put a second notice on here saying that there's two ill-prepared hikers um, so when they were dealing with this carryout, um, they got a second search and rescue call for two unidentified males who were off trail with poor cell service, and um, they don't have the identification for them yet, so I'm, sh- I'm sure next week we'll be able to get more details, but um, they were wet, cold, and did not have headlamps. Stop mm-hmm. me if you heard this before, but these guys were on the Great Gully Trail, on King Ravine, so either they took a wrong turn or they just way out of their element. So at the time of this press release, uh, volunteers were hiking down to um, King Ravine, uh, attempting to, to find these these two hikers and bring them back to the summit so that they could make wow. their way to Madison Spring Hut for the night with headlamps. So, so I'm assuming they went back up Great Gully and then I'm around assuming. the rim. Because if they, I'm assuming that that seems to be the plan. Is like they're going to find these these two on Great Gully, yeah. hike up, and then bring them to uh, the Madison Spring Hut to warm up for the night. But wow, what what a disaster! I do know. I will tell you. Like I I was hiking Great Gully last summer, and I'll never forget. Like I got I turned the corner, and there was a whole group of guys there, and uh, you know they 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 were fine. But one of them was like, "Is this is this the Valley Trail?" Mm-hmm. And I was like, "You mean Valley Way?" I'm like. Oh, I'm like, no, you couldn't be more far far away from Valley Way <laughs> if you tried, but yeah. they made it up. They did fine. Huh. It, it was kind of funny. Yeah, and that's one trail off of a series of trails uh, within King Ravine, and uh, that's a rugged place, but it's beautiful. King's Ravine, excuse me. So, yeah, do some research about that. There's some beautiful stuff in there for hiking. Yeah, yeah. There's basically like two ways up that head wall. You've got the, the King Ravine Trail, which is like kind of wide open slabs. And, and Screefield, and then there's the Great Gully, which is more like, I would liken it more to like the Sphinx Trail. It's like more <laughs> enclosed yeah. a little bit. It's got better views, but it's 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 kind of enclosed. Yeah. Very popular skiing trail in the winter, too. A lot yep. of the skiers yeah. barrel down that. It's amazing. Yeah, it's out of my league. Hmm. Um, so is that so a guess- shame or a no shame? Well, let me see here. So obviously, like Pennsylvania, father and daughter are definitely a shame. Uh, Leg injury is no shame. And then these two lost hikers are probably going to be a shame. But I don't know. Maybe maybe there's some more info that will come out. But I got another good one for you. All right. 
This is this is just posted on social media, so there's no corroboration here, but we're gonna go with it. Apparently, there were two hikers that broke into a car on the summit of Mount Washington. So um, wow. this was posted. Yeah. What the hell? So uh, this was posted by by somebody in the 4,000 footer group, and it was actually shared on our Facebook group too. But two hikers broke into a car on the summit of Mount Washington last night to have a place to sleep. Uh, they apparently cooperated with authorities this morning. Who are the authorities on Mount Washington? <laughs> that's a good question. I mean, that's... is it like the maintenance guys? I don't know. Um, the authorities. I mean, it's, but they cooperate. Well, here's why they cooperated with the authorities. They were asking for a ride down in the morning, so they broke. They must have gotten trouble, got tired. They broke into a car and decided to sleep there. And then when they were identified, they asked for a ride down. Hmm. Wow, that's insane. And well, no details, huh? Before. No, no, I'm digging them. I'm going to try to see if I get more info. Did they have any uh, like catalytic converters in their packs or anything, or? I hope not. I hope not. But <laughs> just goes to show, no vehicles. Who's parking their car up there overnight? By the way, is that even a thing? I, you know, I, I really don't know. We're we're breaking so much new ground in this podcast that this is some stuff I've never considered before. That's amazing. Well, 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 I don't know. What if do you, you do if you get a search there? and rescue for a, a vehicle break on the summit of Mount Washington? <laughs> I mean. Is it possible to park up there and then just leave your car and go hike and just leave it and come back the next day? Pro- probably. I guess. Huh. I don't know. That's really interesting. We have to yeah. get some details here about how this auto road works. Yeah, yeah. If you're <laughs> one of those two guys that got busted for breaking into a car, reach out to us and, and we want to have you on the show. I want to break down on this one. Yeah, that's crazy. All right. Um, so that's it for search and rescue. Got one more, but I do have one more news story. Okay. Um, remember? Do you remember the? I was talking about how I saw a little girl on Owl's Head. She's like a four-year-old girl named Scarlet. Right. And she's like hiking all the four thousand footers. Yes. Yeah. So she she finished the list. Oh, that's excellent. Yeah, I think I heard about this from a few people secondhand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she's a uh, four-year-old little girl named Scarlet. And her trail name is Littlefoot, and she's completed the 4,000-footer list. So WMUR had like a video montage or like an, an interview with her. And I guess her grandmother and her mom were hiking with her most of the time. And like um, the grandmother was basically like, you know, most of the time she was pretty good. She had her moments, but overall, you know, she, she seemed pretty happy. I only I saw her on Owl's Head Slide. I was like ready to cry. She seemed a lot happier than I was hmm. when I was going up that thing. So Good. Well, I was going to say, I mean, that's, I, I've, I've taken my young kids up <laughs> different hikes and they, they weren't very happy. Um, I'm no, glad no. this little kid is enjoying it and uh, I hope they don't push her too hard because that's, that's some grueling stuff for a little, little one. Yeah, yeah. Well, she's that age, so like she probably won't remember a lot of this, so they'll have to do another round for her to remember it. But it's pretty good. She sounds like she had a good time mostly. But um, I know the grandmother listens because I think one of them commented on the Instagram page. So huh. um, hopefully, if if somebody from Scarlett's family is listening, I want to just send a, a quick note to. I want to say something to Scarlett directly. So hopefully, you can turn this on. But Scarlett, this is your buddy Mike. Because you completed the 4,000 footers, I want you to tell your grandmother and your mother that they need to take you to Disney World. Enough of this hiking nonsense. 
That's too much hard work. You want to go to Disney World. That's the next adventure for you, all right? So tell them, you sacrifice for them to do all this hiking. You want to go to Disney. <laughs> that's, that's fair trade. Yeah, I can't, right? I can't Take argue Take the kid to Disney. That. Yep. Yeah. yeah, my wife's leaving so. in October for a week. You can go with her. You can sneak in her pack. It's totally cool. Yeah. No yeah, problem. Exactly. There's mountains there. There's Thunder Mountain, <laughs> Space Mountain, Mount Everest. She can do them all. Uh, so anyway, congratulations, Littlefoot. Yeah, congrats. And, um, yeah, I don't know what's next for her. But, um, <laughs> Big things, I guess. Yeah, yeah. It's like I'm just about to finish my 4,000 photo list. I'm like a four-year-old just did it. Like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to process that, really. I mean, when did she yeah. start walking? Like, what, six months to a year? Yeah, oh, a year, usually. So. <laughs> oh, good. God, help me. It's, that's it's pretty good but like i always think like oh i did the four thousand photo list but like sort of this four-year-old huh so wow she's a but she's a tough she's definitely a tough little tough little kid to do that so congrats yeah no kidding wow yeah good job maybe we can get her in All here right. to talk about it yeah yeah someday we'll see she gets <laughs> a little bit older um but that's it for the hiking news, and uh, we will monitor this, and hopefully they'll be taking her to Disney. I got a feeling if the parents are like this into hiking, like most people are not into hiking and also into going to Disney World, so we'll see. Mm. They'll probably want to take her to like the Grand Canyon or a National Park, which is cool too. Right. All right, so we want to move on to segment three here and talk about food. Yeah, let's do it. This is. Or do you really not want to talk about food? Oh my God, I'm starving. But my, I just feel terrible. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna grind through this for the sake of the audience. Slasher's hiking topic of the week. So we all know. Uh, well, I think most of us know that adequate food, water, and nutrition, in general, is critical to power up and maintain and replenish your body during hiking, before, during, and after. Um, but I think what we're going to do here tonight, Mike, is talk about what should you do and what should you eat, how much, how often, when you're actually uh, pounding the uh, the pavement, so to speak. Everybody is different. Everybody has different needs. Everybody has different um, uh, responses to different foods. You know, I, I may eat some carbohydrates and feel sluggish. Some people may have... Um, medical conditions, you know, take diabetes, for instance. So there are so many different factors, uh, food allergies, nuts, soy, dairy, everything else. You know best, ultimately, what you should be eating on the trail. So um, that's the first foundation that you want to consider. I mean, what we're going to talk about here is secondary. You know the best, but uh, here are some sort of common knowledge, I or maybe, what do, what do you think, Mike, just... I don't know, accepted uh, general norms of how you should approach a hike? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I don't know. I don't know how normal I am, but I guess I'll find out from this segment. <laughs> well, for me personally, it's like I, I have food allergies. I cannot eat uh, eggs. I avoid them like the plague. Most milks, I, I t- typically do, you know, almonds, stuff like that, gluten. So I'm starting from a place where I have to be really picky what I eat on trail or I'm not going to have a great hike. And I'm going to bum out everybody else that's with me. <laughs> no pun intended. Um, so how about you? Uh, do you have any particular food allergies or things you you avoid like the plague or just no don't work for you on the trail? I don't actually have any food allergies that 
I'm aware of, and I really, I mean, I'll pretty much eat anything. I, I don't, I don't have any issues eating anything in particular at all. I just, uh, if it's food, I'll, I'll, I'll consume it. Mm. Oh, that's great. That's, you're blessed. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. So, but I do, as a matter of fact, I mean, just looking at this, like I do eat a lot of like uh, peanuts, pistachios, uh, and cheese. So I think I am sort of on the opposite end of that spectrum when it comes to, um, you know, your, your sensitivities. Cause I just don't have any sensitivities to that. Mm. Matter of fact, sometimes I'll even, br- I'll do bring some hard boiled eggs as like an early snack. I try to like whatever, whatever I'm going to bring that's like heavy. I try to bring that like and eat it first thing if I can. How often should you eat? How often do you eat while you're hiking, Mike? So I have a problem when I'm hiking is most of the time I don't, I think it may be because I come from a running background, but, um, most of the time I will have to force myself to eat. So I'm sort of like heads down. I've got to close this distance and finish up. And, you know, unless I really stop and force myself to eat, I I won't eat. But I think how often you should eat is the rule. And I think what works best for almost everybody is uh, eat frequently and and small amounts. So you don't want to like stuff yourself to death stopping and I feel like when you're doing these activities like I look at it like you know cycling is another activity that um, I've, I've done quite a bit of over the years and you know the rule with cycling is that you should be fueling yourself like consistently every 20 minutes half hour while you're burning um, calories just to keep up with it so mm-hmm. I think the more you can eat when you're on the trail the better and I think that's one of the tricks that you want to learn is like make sure that your gear complements your um, need to continue to consume food, which means that you should have a lot of pockets on your shoulder straps. You should have uh, food that's easily available to you, whether it's on your shoulder straps or if it's in your pockets themselves. And then you should be packing food that's easy to sort of eat on the go while you're hiking because you don't want to rely on all your food being sit-down meals. Mm, Yeah, absolutely. That's a good point. I think the consensus that I found online was that you should definitely eat something, whether it's a snack, uh, you know, just to keep it going every single hour. Uh, that yep. keeps your blood glucose stable, keeps keeps it elevated, and that's what feeds your muscles, I mean, your heart, everything. So that's that gets converted into your energy. So every hour yep. seems to be the, the rule. Yeah, and that, that matches up with what, uh, what I typically try to do. Okay. Now, how much should you eat? And this this is obviously very variable. It depends on the intensity of your hike. Um, a day hiker will need less than, say, an AT through hiker covering 30 miles a day. Um, a common suggestion that I found was that 300 calories per hour may be a good average for a day hike. And then for backpackers, you may be looking at about 2,500 to 4,500 calories per day per person. And that's uh, that was based upon an REI site that I dug up. That's a lot of food, but I, I get it. I mean, when you're through hiking, you're, you're expending so much energy. Your body's like a furnace burning through those calories. And, um, you know, less so with a day hiker, but still the demand for your body to get those calories is pretty high. So 300 calories per hour. I, you know, and still that boggles my mind. I just cannot eat that much food. Yeah, I don't know if I could. Yeah, I don't know if I could either. I think, 
I sort of look at it differently, like as far as how much I should eat. I think when I'm doing a, a backpacking trip, I my goal is to eat enough food during the day where I'm not like starving and, and gorging myself at dinner. But like a day hike, typically I will, um, you know, I'll I'll just a lot of times I'm not hungry, so I'm like forcing myself to eat, so I don't eat as much as I probably would otherwise. But um, you know, I'll usually bring like, depending on the mileage, I just bring a certain amount of food with me with a goal of like bringing enough food to keep me fueled. But like, I don't want to have any extra food that I've carried with me. That extra um, weight. That I just yeah, extra weight. I mean, I just I want to bring enough food that I'm going to eat, but not not have a bunch left over because it just ends up getting thrown out or just sits in my pack for the next time and it becomes gross. Yeah. Well, the next next thing here is what kinds of food. This is a huge topic too. I mean, basically the foundation is bring what you like to eat. Uh, don't bring a bunch of stuff that you hate and you're not going to eat. And you're like, oh, this this trail bar looks fantastic and it's just terrible. Um, in general, stick with foods rich in protein, complex carbohydrates, um, as well as just anything that contains high levels of vitamins, minerals, and electrolytes. Um, get a lot of that from your fluids too, if you're smart. Some examples, grilled chicken and veggies, protein shakes, bananas, apples, trail mixes, uh, hard cheeses, peanut butter, energy bars, um, uh, you know, for backpackers, ready-to-eat dehydrated meals can be pretty good, especially um, high in salt and stuff like that and the electrolytes that you may need. Um, if you're a diehard junk foodie, try to add in some fresh food as well. I mean, your body will appreciate it and would definitely work better for you. Uh, seasonal considerations are important too. Your body in the winter is uh, a, a furnace. It's burning calories to stay warm. So you're going to have to up your, your intake there in the winter. And that's where fatty foods can come in, good fats, uh, whether, whether it be peanut butter, uh, things of that nature. Uh, my personal favorite, I, I am addicted to these, these tuna packets, these flavored tuna, tuna packets. They've been a lifesaver for me for cramps and things like that. They're delicious. They're light. Um, apples, bananas, hard cheeses. You know, I can do the hard cheese. It's just some certain cheeses I can't. Uh, how about you, Mike? What do you, what's typically in your, in your menu? Yeah, I mean, usually, like, almost every hike I go on, I, I've put together a bag of, uh, it's a mix of peanut butter M&Ms and pistachios, so that's, like, my, po I call it the pocket food, so that's, like, usually sitting in my, like, hip pocket of my backpack or, like, the shoulder strap of my backpack, and that's what I'll munch on during the, the hike, but look, for me, you know, I'll have cheese, I'll put together, like, peanut butter crackers, sometimes I'll just take, like, a, pe a peanut butter cracker, you know, pre-made, or sometimes I'll just make them with rich crackers. A peanut butter is very high in protein, and it fills me up pretty quickly. Um, I'll usually have Cliff Bars, and um, I usually like to take something kind of heavy and salty. So if it's a day hike or even a backpacking trip, like I'll get a chicken parm sub, and I'll just carry that with me, and that'll be like sort of my I'll, – I'll split that up and have that over the course of the, the day. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes I'll even bring like a Tupperware of like pasta and meatballs, and I'll have that. I don't even mind eating it cold. Um, I'll have pizza as well. I'll wrap that up and, and, and bring that cold as well. Or I'll have hamburger patties. I'll just eat those. And, um, you know, that's usually like I try to have like a heavy, salty sort of – meal like that to to keep me going and i think if, if i'm snacking 
during the uh, the actual hike, then I stop at the summit and I have that big meal, then I'm just snacking on the way out. Like usually I feel fine. Mm-hmm. That's good. So, and I, the way I look at like um, when it comes to weight management too, I look at my people talk about like oh bring a luxury item. My luxury item <laughs> is almost always extra food that I like that's heavier than like what you would normally eat. So that's why, like, I have no problem throwing a chicken parm sub in or a calzone or pasta and meatballs <laughs> because I'm, I'm, like, giving up weight in other areas so that I can bring that heavier food. Yeah. Very good, very good. Yeah. And then well, one other thing, too, is just that's mostly day hiking. When it comes to backpacking, and, again, I don't do a ton of backpacking, but I will, again, I look at food as my luxury item for backpacking, and I'll bring, like, Chef Boyardee, like, not the cans, because those are too heavy, but, like, the plastic containers of Chef Boyardee spaghetti and meatballs. Ooh, that's a good idea. Um, in the winter when we do overnights, my friend Jonathan, he, he sort of turned me on to this, is they'll, br- they'll make a stew with potatoes and vegetables and meat, and then... Um, he will simmer the stew down so that it's like basically like no liquid in it or just a little bit of liquid and then put that in the freezer. We'll all take a, a piece of the stew in a Ziploc bag where it's frozen. Mm-hmm. Once we start our hike, you know, it'll stay frozen in the winter. We mostly do this in the winter. And then by the time we're ready for dinner, we'll just basically just put a little bit of water in our pots and then melt that uh, stew down and cook that, and that's a nice hearty meal with some with some sourdough bread that my friend Tom will usually usually bring, and that really like hits home when you're cold and backpacking. <laughs> Excellent, yeah, that's good. Yeah, you're carrying all that extra stuff for stoves and everything else. Those are the seasonal considerations. Uh, but even yeah. you, you take it midsummer, like just cooking up stuff. I don't backpack too. Yeah, often. we wouldn't do the stew, but. Yeah, I mean, we wouldn't do the stew. Like this last time I went backpacking, I brought like three or four things of the Chef Boyardee. Um, Most of the thru-hikers, I was talking to them, like they all will bring ramen. Ramen for the weight to the the caloric content is like the best thing for backpackers. And what they'll typically do is they'll bring flavoring. So they'll bring garlic powder. They'll have like Parmesan cheese and um other spices and oils and they'll just most of them will just eat ramen Mm. and then spice it up with those um with those toppings so that's another option i just i don't backpack enough where i would worry about that much weight i'd prefer to carry a little bit of extra weight and just um you know have a nice meal oh my god i'm so effing hungry (laughs) you you can make it stop we're almost done almost done i can't eat until tomorrow at like one o'clock in the afternoon you're fine. You're just gonna you're gonna get that hose stuck up your ass, and you'll be great. <laughs> oh God! What a life, right? right? Hydration. What a hydration. Life. We're moving on. Okay, hydration. Um, there are a huge amount of options. Um, you know, hot hot in the winter, cold in the summer. Just make sure you're you're drinking things that give you those electrolytes. Um, obviously, water is important, but if you're just chugging water all day long without getting those electrolytes either by food or by by some drink then you can actually set yourself up for trouble so some of these sports drinks um pedialyte gatorade fantastic options just to get those electrolytes in you Uh, a lot of people now are drinking hot chocolate 
uh, broths, uh, pickle juice. You know, they, they drink the, the vinegar from the pickles and everything else. Uh, as a matter of fact, Danielle had a pickle bag today with some vinegar. So that's really good. Um, what else? Oh, yes. If you're into the Summit Brew, just be aware that that is a diuretic and you are going backwards in terms of your dehydration. So Summit Brew is cool, but just if you're in a rough state to begin with, that may not necessarily help you. Um, There is another way that you can assess your hydration level, and I think that is important when you're talking about do I need water or do I need a sports drink? And that's just the color of your urine. Fun topic, but rough rule of thumb. If you're overhydrated, your urine's going to be just clear. If you're at a really optimal or, or good level of uh, hydration, it may be very light, light, pale yellow. And then from there, the more dehydrated your urine gets, it's going to be dark brown, you know, you know, light brown all the way down to dark brown, and that's when you're really dehydrated. So um, keep an eye on that little pro tip. <laughs> what, what if my urine's green? Oh, jeez. Um, boy, you might have some liver issues. Um, <laughs> it's it's St. Patty's Day. You've been drinking too oh. many green beers. But I'm pumped. Exactly. Put that in there. Um <laughs> I will just say, as far as hydration goes for me, like I almost exclusively drink water. But what I've been doing lately is sometimes I'll buy like a Gatorade before I go on a hike. And I actually really like Gatorade um, on my hikes. But I bought – it's a little bit heavy and clunky. So one of the things I've recently done is I bought like a giant thing of powdered Gatorade at, at BJ's Wholesale. Mm-hmm. And then I can just put like – I bring like two things of like little powder for Gatorade with me. And then if I feel like I want some flavor in my water, I can just put those little powders in there, shake it up. And I have one um, soft water bottle that I use for my Gatorade mix. And then I've got one that's just for clean water. And I've got those in my shoulder straps. So um, I usually have one flavor and one mm. one water. But you can do this with Gatorade. You can do it with like those Nun tablets. There's a bunch of different things that you can do to, to give yourself some electrolytes and some flavor in your liquid. Yeah. Yeah. My preference is for like the um, Pedialytes because there's less sugar. When I eat carbs or sugar, I, I crash. I just like really feel sluggish. So that's something to consider. I think some of these newer brands are shying away from the heavier Gatorade. I know Gatorade makes like a zero cal and all that stuff, but then you're talking about the artificial sweeteners and things. So just something to think about. Yeah. Um, Let's see. What else do we have? Any other comments on that? That's it. All right. That's it for hydration. Okay. So the last one I wanted to throw in there was if you're a vegan, a vegetarian, I am not uh, really up on this but and i find it amazing that people can live that lifestyle to be honest with you um especially like a, an athlete but i i've seen like um what are some of these boxers that are vegetarians and um some of the wrestlers that are vegetarians and they're just powerhouses so i know it's possible but i think it takes a little more effort maybe to find the foods um in my brief research for this little segment here um Obviously, there are companies that cater to those lifestyles, those food choices. Um, they, there are many that make vegan, vegetarian offerings. Um, some of the companies that I found were Lara Bar, uh, Cliff Bars, we all know, um, 88 Acres, 
Um, apart from that, if you wanted to get away from the processed bars and things like that, you could go with like your nut butters. There's actually powdered hummus, which you add water. This is this is pretty interesting. You add water and mix in this powder, and then voila, you you've got hummus. And then if you have you know chips or you know uh, crackers, you could dip it with hummus. Um, finally, you could do your trail mixes. Um, I know that say Trader Joe's or Whole Foods have a huge selection of trail mixes and you can find organic and vegetarian and whatever else so you have options people don't distress and that's all i have for the food uh i know this is a gigantic topic but we wanted to just broach the topic here on an episode and um uh, I mean, when you add in the whole seasonal thing, it, it becomes a whole other challenge. Like, how do you keep your water from freezing? You know, all this stuff. So we'll, we'll tackle that stuff on yeah. another <laughs> episode. Yeah, we're going to do an intro to winter hiking. And like, even like, I look at like a, a thermos with hot chocolate is that's almost like a safety uh, measure for you. Like, you should always have that on hand when you're hiking um, just for you know, mitigating cases where you might run into somebody that is, is dealing with hypothermia. But like, those are the things we can cover in, in future episodes for sure. But the bottom line is, is that I think as I'm reading through this stomp, the themes I'm seeing are that, um, you know, people have different, different focus on what they want to eat, but you should be eating frequently. Um, you should ensure that you are uh, consuming enough calories when you do eat. And, um, you know, just make sure that you stay hydrated so that you're not, you're not peeing brown and uh, getting yourself in trouble here. But like there's in a, nutshell. a lot of options and everybody's different. But I think at the end of the day, like uh, the, the, for me, the heavier the food, the better, because I can just, uh, you know, I, I don't want to carry that much. And, and I just want to get as much bang for my buck when it comes to eating as I can when I'm on a trail. <laughs> Excellent. Well, this is a good one. I like uh, I like no guests. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Sometimes it's good to have no guests. Although we do need, if anybody wants to like uh, come on and they feel like they got a good topic, like don't be shy, hit us up. We'll, we're happy to have people sit in. Absolutely. Even if you um, don't have a great topic, you can just sit in, and you know it's not not a bad thing. We just we want somebody that's been hiking, I guess, so they can they can share some secrets with us. We need we need to find some new spots where we're. We're always giving secrets away. We want to get some. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> awesome. All right, so, so I'll let you go. It's going to be a rough day for you tomorrow uh, with the colonoscopy. So good luck, <laughs> and we'll get a we'll get a full rundown. Um, oh, it, hopefully, you can take some pictures and put it on the Instagram oh, page for that'd us. That'd be wonderful, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. <sighs> we want to see your inside your, te- I'm gonna, your intestines. I'll remember this when it's your turn. You're you're creeping up on yeah. there fast. <laughs> Well, I've had some, so the last time I had to go into that area, um, my, my doctor said that I have the prostate of a 60 year old, so I'm on my way pretty quickly. (laughs) Excellent. Oh, jeez. Yeah. So so anyway, okay, we'll call it a wrap. Good job. Thanks for listening. See you next week. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the show, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you want to learn more about the topics covered on today's show, please check out the show notes and safety information on slasserpodcast.com. That's S-L-A-S-R podcast.com. You can also follow the show on Facebook and Instagram. We hope you'll join us next week for another great show. 
Until next time, on behalf of Mike and Stomp, get out there and crush some peaks. Now covered in scratches, blisters, and bug bites, Chris Staff wanted to complete his most challenging day hike ever. Fish and game officers say the hiker from Florida activated an emergency beacon yesterday morning. He was hiking along the Appalachian Trail when the weather started to get worse. Officials say the snow was piled up to three feet in some spots and there was a wind chill of minus one degree. And there's three words to describe this race. Do we all know what they are? Lieutenant James Neeland, New Hampshire Fish and Game. Lieutenant, thanks for being with us today. Thanks for having me. What are some of the most common mistakes you see people make when they're heading out on the trails to hike here in New Hampshire? Seems to me the most common is being unprepared, and I think if they just simply visited uh, hikesafe.com and got a list of the 10 essential items and had those in their packs, they probably would have no need to ever call us at all.